It is crazy. It feels like everybody's launching a podcast these days. Should we move on to something else? Uh, I love to see it. I love to see it. The The Bitcoin podcast game is fucking blossoming. It is. I actually just uh, got alerted on Twitter. It's not only in the Bitcoin space. Podcasts are popping up all over the place. It's interesting because... Shout out to Lewis, who helped me start this podcast. Lewis Roberts. I'll never forget sitting at the Smith in Flatiron when he convinced me to start this podcast, Tales from the Crypt. And then, I mean, I'd listen to Rogan and stuff like that up to that point. Really like podcasts, but didn't really appreciate how big the medium would explode uh, over the last three years, particularly. Uh, as I was giving that spiel, I was looking up this tweet from a good friend, Andrew Stottle, on Twitter, at A-N-D-R-E-W-S-T-O-T-L-E. The World Economic Forum literally has a podcast called The Great Reset. Go, uh, <laughs> you freaks can go give that a, a nice one-star review on Apple uh, Podcast if you, if you have access to an iPhone. One-star review. Haven't listened to a single episode yet, but... The propaganda coming from the world, uh, excuse me, not the World Health Organization, the World Economic Forum. Uh, I don't know if there's much of a difference. They're both filled with. We should get them to sponsor the podcast. Hey, Wef, Wef, if you if you're out there, you should have us at Davos. Let us lead a uh, let us lead a fireside ch- chat at Davos. RHR live at Davos. Davos, 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 Davos. Yep. Is it Davos? I don't know. That's no, just whatever. Davos. We'll learn how to pronounce it if you have us. It's Davos. It's Davos. We'll come, we'll lead a fireside chat, we'll tell you why your plans for a great reset are stupid. Not only stupid, evil, manipulative, authoritarian, fascist, all the things that the World Economic Forum claims to be against uh, the great reset would be very fascist and authoritarian, I would imagine, to implement what they're trying to do. Is Bitcoin the true great reset? I think so. I think it's a real great Green New Deal. Uh, it is uh, the separation of money and state, uh, the monetary reformation, whatever you want to call it. I think uh, Bitcoin is everything. It is. It is the real Green New Deal, the real great reset. Bitcoin will fix literally everything. And if you haven't come to grips with that yet, start coming to grips with it. Because uh, it feels like we're about to have uh, an interesting 18 months. I don't even want to say 18 months. We're going to have an interesting future. Let's just say that. Why do I say that? Because last month, we were last month, last week, exactly a week ago, Matthew and I were gawking at uh, the mini block clock that is still behind him right now. Uh, and throughout the episode, you'll hear us talk about the price changing. And it was in the low 1500s. And right now, according to Clark's dashboard, the Bitcoin price is at $16,024. Uh, you're only going to get 6,241 sats per dollar. Your dollar's not going as far as it used to. Uh, you're going to currently be able to get eight and a half ounces of gold for one Bitcoin. Uh, and the Bitcoin market cap versus the gold market cap is creeping up. It's currently at 2.44%. Since we last met, this difficulty adjustment. Yeah, it was last week before we recorded. So uh, we have not had another adjustment since last RHR. There are currently 585 blocks until the next adjustment, which is which is estimated to be a 5.6% increase in difficulty that is estimated to occur on November 16th. So that would be Monday of next week, correct? Yeah. 
estimated Monday East Coast time at least. Um, we're currently at block height. Didn't get to this. 656,631. It's been 22 minutes since the last block. I'm looking for this stat, though. Uh, the average fees um, versus reward has been 18.43% over the last 2016 blocks. Mempool cleared. Mempool did clear. Uh, one sat per byte transactions <sighs> cleared this week. So you're lucky, Matt. You can still send one sat per byte transactions. I think we're all lucky, you know. We are. Uh, get, your, get your game together. Consider jumping in the whirlpool, opening lightning channels. Consolidating transactions when they don't hurt your privacy, which is almost never. <laughs> never to use Whirlpool. Never consolidate. Um, speaking of pools, we've moved over to, to mempool.space, incredible website. Uh, they're currently estimating if you have a high priority transaction to attach an 11, excuse me, an 115 sat per byte fee to that. Currently about 200, 200 well, I can't even speak. Two hundred fifty-four cents. Two dollars and fifty-four cents is another way to say that. Uh, if you're willing to wait a little bit, a few blocks, an hour, a few hours, uh, Mempool Net Space is recommending eighty-six sats per byte. That's about a dollar and ninety cents. And if you have a low priority, willing to wait a day, a couple days, a few days, they're recommending to attach a fifty-six sat per byte fee to that transaction, which equates to about a dollar and twenty-four cents currently. Uh, considering the market price of Bitcoin. Woo! Interesting week. Very bullish, but like quietly bullish. Crossed over 16K today. Not much fanfare. I know we had a lot of, we've been having a lot of price talk on this podcast recently, but fuck it. Dude, it's ridiculously fucking bullish. Right? It's fucking insanely bullish. Uh, stay humble. Every All the peeps, stay humble. Don't, don't, don't use leverage. Not your keys, not your coins. I think you can stay humble and still uh, still report on the fact that the price has been going up to oh, absolutely. little fanfare outside of Bitcoin Twitter and the few macro investors that, that have publicly gotten into it this year particularly. But yeah, I mean, it's I don't know if it's probably most likely can be attributed to the ongoing presidential election here at the United States taking up a bunch of the no, news. No, it's the having getting priced in, Marty. Finally? I thought it was priced in months ago. Well, one of them's getting priced in. I'm not sure which one. Yeah, is it the next halving or the one after that? It was actually two halvings ago. Uh, We're really catching up to that. Yeah, the market's still realizing that there's uh, less than 50 Bitcoin per block being released to the network. I think it's just people are hoovering up the supply, man. They're just the humble sat stackers. Uh, talking about that, my uh, I think the freak successfully front ran my auto stack today. Because we popped over 16 for the first time, like right before, like my stack hit over 16 <laughs> and then fell back down before I woke up. So thanks for that, freaks. Yeah. Yeah. I noticed that I'm uh, an hour, excuse me, ahead of East Coast time. So I've been waking up at like 530 here, which is like 430 East Coast time. And yeah, I noticed that little price bump thought of you. You should have woke up to rip a morning piss and, and change your, your daily <laughs> buy to a little bit earlier. But hey. I can't control your bladder. Only you can do that. Well, no, I like I like I like having my auto stack with the freaks. It's like a team. It's like a team effort. It's a team effort. Are you gonna get mad at me because you provided me with a great segue? 
Nope. It's a team effort. You can front run Matthew on the cash app. If you want to stack sets daily, you could do it on the cash apps. Cash apps help you stack sets, send sets, receive sets, and sell sets. And like I just said, you can front run our boy Matt Odell here by setting a automatic daily buy in the cash app. You're going to have to wake up a little early and front run his 4.30 a.m. buy. Uh, but we don't know exactly when his buy is. Actually, I'm thinking it's 4.30 a.m. now. But download the cash app. Set your daily buy. Stack sats with peace of mind. You don't even have to think about it. It does it automatically. If you don't want to buy daily, you can buy weekly or bi-weekly as well. And on top of that, you can stack slivers of stonks if you want to. not forcing you to. You can buy as little as $1 worth of a stonk. Uh, cash app can be your bank account if you don't want to work with the Bank of America as well. Fargo's, not sure if I'm allowed to, to mention potential competitors in the Adri, but I just did. You could use the cash app as your bank account. As account numbers and routing numbers, you can get your direct deposits your paychecks direct deposited into the app uh and because cash apps either directly connects to your bank account or it is your bank account you can start stacking sats today there's no waiting uh use the code stacking sats when you do download the app you're gonna get ten dollars ten dollars gonna go to our good friends at owls lacrosse that's owls lacrosse Woo! Woo! and beware we're gonna throw a beware on this ad read beware of the withdrawal limits we know they're very low we've been hearing the complaints We've been talking uh, to people we know at the cash app saying, hey, uh, the price of Bitcoin is going up. We're probably going to need to uh, put these limits up as well. Uh, don't know if there will be a solution anytime soon, but the the uh, the withdrawal complaints are being passed along. You should know that. If you haven't downloaded the cash app yet and you want to understand these withdrawal limits, uh, use the code stacking sats when you download it. Uh, beyond the cash app, we have our good friends at Unchained Capital doing incredible things. Uh, Joe Kelly actually had a really good uh, thread that we don't have the, on the list today, but maybe we'll mention it later about the the nature of uh, using Bitcoin as collateral and rehypothecation with Bitcoin lenders. Uh, very interesting thread. I'll try to link to that. But on top of that, if you guys want to go from zero to multi-sig uh, in a relatively easy uh process and you want somebody to hold your hand along the way unchained capital is offering a white glove concierge service you'll go from zero to having bitcoin in a multi-sig vault on unchained capital uh in a couple of weeks what they're going to do is they're going to uh have a couple of video conference calls with you make sure you're comfortable with the vault product and multi-sig in general they're going to answer any questions you may have uh they're going to get you really comfortable with multi-sig and securing your bitcoin in that fashion then on top of that they're going to send you hardware wallets uh and at the end when your multi-sig vault is set up they're going to dump $1000 worth of bitcoin into the vault so this is a $1500 package uh if you friend if you friends you are friends you freaks are friends if you freaks uh tell them the TFTC sent you you're going to get $50 off so that $1500 package goes down to $14,000, dollars $14, uh, So you're going to get video conferences, hardware wallets, $1,000 worth of Bitcoin dumped into your multi-sig vault. So go check this out. We're going to have a special link to that service, particularly in the show notes. But if you want to check out everything they're doing at Unchained, go to unchained-capital.com. That's unchained-capital.com. Check them out. And last but not least, we have our good friends at Bitcoin Black Friday. Dot com. These are the people, the people, our friends from BTC Media at Bitcoin Magazine. Bitcoin Black Friday is a project uh, that is coming back to life. It was around years ago. 
it's had a hiatus, but uh, the Bitcoin Magazine and Bitcoin 2021 conference team uh, have decided to bring it back. And so you're going to be able to celebrate the growing Bitcoin economy on Bitcoin Black Friday. You can go to the site and find active deals, including the one we have at TFTC, uh, for up to 50% off all your favorite Bitcoin gear and other merchants that accept Bitcoin. It doesn't stop with that spending Bitcoin. Bitcoin Black Friday is actually going to list a bunch of charities, over 65 that you can support with Bitcoin uh, in a stacking stats page that will tell you great ways to earn Bitcoin. Uh, and if you're a Bitcoin accepting merchant and you want to get on this list, go to BitcoinBlackFridays.com to list the Black Friday deal. If you want to take advantage of the discounts and sat stacking opportunities, sign up for the email updates at BitcoinBlackFriday.com as well. And uh, for any of you freaks out there waiting for the hold reward card sats back card the full team has teamed up with bitcoin black friday to bring you a special promo for the much awaited sat back card and if you go and sign up for early access to the fold card on the bitcoin black friday website you'll be entered in a raffle to win a whole bitcoin 100 million sats so if you go to bitcoinblackfriday.com you have to do it via, via bitcoinblackfriday.com sign up for early access to the fold card uh, you're going to get a chance to win a whole Bitcoin, 100 million sats. Uh, there's going to be incredible deals with Bitcoin-focused merchants on the site, good friends including Cold Card, Unchained, Bitcoin Magazine, MyNode, Cobovault, Ledger, Bavada, and many others will be offering deals. So go check it out, BitcoinBlackFriday.com. Able to uh, see a lot more stats on Anchor now. We can see the average time that listeners are listening to podcasts. And you can actually see whether or not they listen to ads via the percentage of overall listeners listening during the periods that we listen to ads. We got a pretty good ad retention rate here. I, I think you freaks are liking the ad reads. I hope you are. I don't know how they could tell that. They can somehow. I think maybe they can only tell that on Anchor or Spotify if you use Anchor or Spotify. I'll show you a. I'll show you the chart. Okay. Well, I think it's hilarious. Over. Yeah. Sh show me after the after the podcast. Classic uh, Matt and Marty discuss business on on air. <laughs> um, I mean, talking about ads, right? Uh, the biggest news this week. Fuck the price. Uh, we're all happy about the price. Is Adam Curry's podcast 2.0 spec? How fucking bullish are we on this? Um, extremely bullish. I've been nerding out about this all week. I've been nerding out about it for a while, actually, because I've heard Adam talking about it and teasing it on No Agenda for some time. I actually reached out to Adam via email a few months ago to try and get him on the podcast. Uh, and he said he was busy with the podcast 2.0 stuff and that he's going to come on TFTC when, uh, when he's ready, when the podcast 2.0 dust settles. So it seems like the dust settling. Hopefully we'll have Adam on here soon, but... Uh, he did a tutorial walkthrough for No Agenda. Uh, no Bullshit Bitcoin posted that that video. That caught my eye. I wrote about it on the bent on Monday. And then so Adam Carey, the podfather for you freaks who don't know who he is. If you listen to the episode of Ryan Gentry last week, we talked about him for probably about like a half hour. He basically created the medium of podcasting, the content medium of podcasting. And has been on a mission ever since he started it to keep it free and open, a free and open form of content that uh, is hard to, number one, easy to access, hard to censor, uh, revolving around RSS feeds. And so 
now that Spotify and other platforms are moving to sort of silo content creators on their platforms, I feel like Adam uh, has a fire under his ass to put out this podcasting 2.0 platform to preserve the decentralized and open nature of podcasting via RSS feed. So podcasting 2.0 is a platform looking to sign up as many podcasters as possible so that it can be as open and free as possible. And he's also teamed up with the Sphinx team to uh, integrate the Lightning Network with, with his idea. And so if you guys listen to No Agenda, if you don't listen to No Agenda, um, I would definitely go check it out. But if you've never heard of it, they have, instead of adverti- instead of monetizing via advertisements, they have what's called a value-for-value value model where they have producers who are the listeners of their show and the listeners of the No Agenda podcast basically put a dollar amount in their head of the amount of value they've gotten out of the No Agenda show with Adam Curry and, and uh, John Dvorak, and uh, that's how they monetize. And Adam wants to make that easier with the Podcasting 2.0 platform by integrating Lightning Network uh, right now via Sphinx app, which I've been experimenting with all week. And so bringing that value-to-value model uh, to a more granular level where freaks can, not just freaks, but any podcast listeners will be able to stream payments via the Lightning Network to podcasters immediately. And then that payment received by the podcaster uh, they can decide how to break that up between the person building the app where their podcast is being served to their co-hosts, producers, all that stuff. And so, yeah, we've we've actually been talking about starting a Telegram group for Tales from the Crypt. Uh, we actually started a Sphinx group, or a tribe is what they're calling it. So we have a Tales from the Crypt tribe on Sphinx chat. Right now there's only 12 people. There's a dozen of us. Uh, and basically this is a spot where... Matt's not even in it yet. He still has to get access to the app. But like the invite process isn't open yet, right? Before we have all the freaks bombard us with how to get in. Yeah, it's not open yet. I think they're going to officially launch the app within the next few weeks. So We're a little bit early. As Marty said, I'm still trying. I had an account earlier with Sphinx and it got borked at some point. This was a couple months ago and I need to, I'm going to get hooked up again. What's interesting here is, so Sphinx, friend of the podcast, um, their back end is being done by Noddle, a uh, massive friend of the podcast. So really cool to see there. Um, and just to unpack this announcement a little bit, right now the way podcasts work is through an RSS feed, um, a basically a, a broadcast medium where you can have all these different RSS clients. That's why people have different apps that they use that all can pull in this feed and download the MP3 and the, and the, con- the context, all that text we have alongside of our episodes. Um, that's an open standard. We also have blogs that do a similar thing, right? Where they're, they're releasing their written content without the MP3 along these RSS standards. An open standard is more privacy conscious because instead of having email addresses for people, um, it's just broadcast out and they can pull it if they want. Um, it also uh, has less tracking capability there, which is one of the things I was talking, like when Marty mentioned earlier that we can see when the ads were listened to, I don't think that's the case because (laughs) all we can see is the MP3 download if it's an outside RSS client. But anyway, Podcast 2.0 is a spec. And the spec is basically an RSS feed that's behind a Lightning paywall. So it can be open uh, because Lightning is a a permissionless system that people can jump in and use for payments. So I could see this. And so so that's the, the spec the, uh, and then Sphinx is the first implementation of it. So it's the, 
the idea here isn't that like you need this one app no. where you can pay sats per minute and listen to your favorite podcast and support the creators and have the creators incentives aligned with their listeners. Um, the idea is that you can down, you can use any app just like you can use any podcast app right now and they'll all have a built-in lightning wallet and be able to connect into the spec. And ideally what I would like to see is I want to see, you know, everyone's getting super excited about all these Substack blogs like I want to see the same exact implementation, but for written content only, where you you basically like you have an RSS feed instead of people harvesting email addresses, you're able to just pay Sats per view and and download the RSS feed that way. I would love that. I don't like holding email addresses. Freaks freaks me out. That's the only thing we. Well, all of our that's... all of our newsletters you can use RSS for, but I see a lot of newsletters in the space that you don't even have the option to use RSS. Yes, that's true. Yeah, you can sign up for the RSS feed on our site. We've linked to that before. It should be pretty easily discoverable too. You don't, yeah, there's no sign up in your RSS reader. It's tftc.io slash Marty's bent slash RSS, whatever the Marty's bent is on the website slash RSS. And then same with the SAT standard. Yeah. Um, this is huge. And again, I've been playing around with it. So it's really cool. So we're yeah we're gonna create a community page on Sphinx and it's been cool like so for example for the dozen people in the group today they got access to the topic of Marty's bent before I wrote it and then they got access to the RHR list of topics that we're talking about right now so the people in our Sphinx tribe have early access to uh, what's going on behind the content and then. Uh, it's been really cool. They have a podcast player built into the Sphinx chat uh, where as soon as a new episode's uploaded, people can start listening to it. And then as they're listening to it in the app, I can see freaks act actively tipping us when they like when a good point is made throughout an episode, which is pretty crazy. Right. So that would actually give us it, it like provides a financial incentive to give us like private, you know, privacy preserving analytics. Right, that we don't have right now, so then we can make a better show as well. Um, so you you hit like a bunch of different things at once. You you hit you know the community building aspect. You you hit um, the financial incentive models, and then you hit the lack of gatekeepers. Right, which I think is one of the most important things about podcasting. And obviously, Adam Curry agrees, and we need to preserve that. And I think that's one of the most important things about blogging as well. So um, to 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 see a, a model here. You know, one of the things that has killed, absolutely killed privacy on the internet is that the main monetization model is, is basically is ads, right? And because of those ads, um, it just ends up with a lot of data collection. Uh, so, so if we can move towards this type of model, and I think it makes more sense for podcasts and videos than it does on this, like, sat, sats per view, like what a lot of people have been talking about with, like, clicks for, like, artic articles on, like, New York Times or something, Um like I could totally see like a YouTube that's not decentralized, you know, but it's just instead of ads, it's sats per minute. I feel like that would have decent traction. Yeah. And I've been sidebarring a few conversations this week with Ryan Gentry just thinking about like ideas of how this could be applied. And we think there's like a case to be made that at some point, like listeners may actually be able to make money by listening to a certain podcast. Hear me out. One way, like a little gamification way. Uh, which is interesting. Matt and I will have to talk about the ethics of it, but via the Sphinx app, potentially soon we'll be able to set up uh, 
an incentive for people to listen saying, hey, the first hundred listeners of this episode that reach minute 25, minute 25 will get 15,000 sats or something like that. And we just divvy that out automatically. Like you get a reward for listening if you're the first to listen to uh, a certain uh, minute threshold, which is pretty cool. But then I was talking to him like if we if our TFTC tribe is like a strong enough community and we get a, a smart enough web of trust with uh, good brain power, like we could set up like a lightning pool. We could set up our own TFTC tribe lightning node and and vote somebody within the tribe to operate the node to, to run a, a profitable lightning pool uh, operation or something like that with the profits divvied up between the tribe members again i haven't gone over like the legality of all that but just thinking yeah i mean that's i just it sounds like a regulatory quagmire it does but keeping the regulatory quagmire out of mind the ability to do that is there if you one of the nice things about this i think is is that even if you look at some of the the worst um bitcoin focused regulation uh in the bit license Right, it always it almost always has a carve out for actually just like accepting payments from people, or paying people. Um, so like this should have pretty much no regulatory issues attached to it, just right out of the gate, which is kind of awesome. Yeah, because there's no custodian. Every so every Sphinx user is is running their own node. It's just it's in the Noddle cloud. Yeah. To make the UX easier, but technically there's no custodian. Well, we haven't even mentioned the fact that Sphinx is like a lightning messaging app. Like you you have to share the, the key send macaroon, I believe, with Sphinx so that you can op operate the chat. But they're using like uh Yoast Jaeger's WhatsApp model. Uh we had Yoast on a month ago. You can go listen to why he created that app. But Sphinx has applied this, like we're using the Lightning Network as a messaging protocol right with end-to-end every message is one set it's insane um yeah i mean i was actually to you know to be completely fair i was like a little bit more i'm like a little bit more bearish on the messaging aspect than i am on the the podcasting angle no no i think i think yeah i think the messaging aspect of it being light network is just the added bonus but the monetization value for value We'll see. Uh, I've had many questions in the past of whether or not freaks would be willing to pay for the content. I mean, we have the shout-outs. We have the contribu- contribution page. We we get a good amount of shout-outs, but nothing, um, nothing that, that would uh, give me the ability to feed my family and, and live like a, a prosperous life there. But maybe that's just because it's too hard. The UX friction is too hard. Maybe... That's what this podcasting 2.0 app will figure out is how to make this or this open protocol or whatever it turns into will just make it easy to monetize. And I think that's one thing many people go back and forth with microtransactions via the Lightning Network, particularly like will they ever get traction and like will it get to a point where people don't even realize they're spending money because they're sending such a low amount of sats, but in aggregate for podcasters with a uh, sizable uh, listener <laughs> viewership um, and actually is something material that they can live off of. We'll see. Well, what I think is interesting here 
that's what isn't doesn't really interest me about a lot of the other platforms that I've tried to attempt to do this with fiat um, integrated instead uh, is is that I think you could actually get away with here offering the content for free um, in addition to the sats monetization in addition to the podcast 2.0 platform because of you actually give them a UX improvement. So instead of it actually adding friction, the, the payment actually adding friction to the process, you might even give them better UX because they're using um, this podcast 2.0 platform than if they use the free app or if they use the free version of, of the stream. So you don't cut off your audience. You still allow open access, completely open access to people, but you can have people pay for a superior experience um, that actually might... Yeah, that will be more superior to the free experience. Yeah. No, that's what I think the, these tribes lead to that, right? Like when you get, it's basically, that's what Sphinx is calling them a tribe. Podcast 2.0 is calling them a tribe. And then you just get your community in that tribe. And I think there's a lot of value. Like we've been talking, like, should we make a Telegram group? But they could be like, you can get like thousands of people in, which I mean, who knows? Maybe our tribe will get that big too, but... There is a paywall to get into the trap. I think it's a hundred thousand sats right now. Um, Wait, just to enter, just to enter, yeah, or ten thousand. Wow. I think I said it's a ten thousand. Um, well, a hundred thousand is sixteen dollars. Yeah, and then there's a minimum. It's ten going 000. up. It's a dollar fifty. A dollar sixty, yeah. actually, Marty. Ooh, ooh, it's not last week. It's this week. But Matt, how do you do your sats you, math so quickly? Then you can set then you can set minimums uh for for the amount. Like if you send a message, there could be like you have to pay to send a message, so it could incentivize quality conversation. Interesting dynamic. Anyway, this is really I'm always interested to see freaks. like Yeah. Well, I was gonna say I'm like always interested to see like what is the microtransaction or the micropayment threshold at which people start noticing and stop using a product. No, I'm fine with like I don't want them to. I'm not trying to trick them into paying. Like I, I don't, I don't, no. I don't think it's a question of neither noticing. am I. I think, I think it's a question of of fair pricing. I think, I think, a lot of people will pay a fair price for quality content, and it's just a, it's just, but like at the same time, like there's so much friction with legacy systems that the paid services are all add friction, right? They all add. A considerable amount of friction. Um, in this situation, there's a chance here that we can make it so the paid product actually has better UX, so and gives you better features and gives you better interaction and quality. So if that's the case, you know, then then I think more people will be be willing to contribute that way. Um, but I'm really curious what the freaks think because, like, I'm super hyped about it. I know you're super hyped about it, but you know, we live this shit. Maybe we're maybe we're biased here. No, I agree. Um, very interested to hear what you freaks think as well. If you're on the Sphinx app and you want to join our tribe, it's just Tales from the Crypt, uh, spelled out. Uh, yeah, hopefully I'll join soon. Yeah, I'm hoping you will. And no, I'm very excited. It's very early days. It's very raw right now. You could tell when you're using the app, but the Sphinx team seems very sharp. The product they put out, just from a podcast playing standpoint, it fucking works. You could tip immediately as you're listening in the tribe which is just extremely cool and i think this is going to go 
into areas we don't completely comprehend right now, which I'm excited for. Feels like we're on a, uh, like we're on the underground of something pretty cool right now. Yeah, I mean, obviously, us and the freaks are a perfect testing ground, along with uh, all the other Bitcoin podcasts. So uh, I'm excited to be a part of that. I am as well. Um, so we don't forget before we transition to our next topic, we got to get to our one shout out of the week. Love this shout out. Uh, bummed we weren't able to record yesterday to get it out in a timely manner, but. Better late than never. To all you freaks out there who served, happy Veterans Day. Having a high time preference saved lives in combat, but let's lower that now and keep making the world a better place. Stack sats, stay fit, love your families, check on your buddies, and orange pill them. And last but not least, Pete Navy from Inanon from West Point, I'm assuming. Cheers. Um, cheers appreciate to our veterans. You yeah, no. Appreciate you, freak, and appreciate uh, any of you freaks out there. It may be veterans. I know uh, I personally am very anti-war. I think war is terrible and all that. But uh, on top of that, like individuals who choose to serve for the greater good and believe it's for the greater good, I can respect the hell out of that. And anybody who's risked their lives to give me the ability to speak freely on this mic, uh, I respect the hell out of you. So thank you. 100%. Uh, um, next topic, ledger phishing email analysis, this ledger phishing scandal, this is a scandal, whatever it is, uh, it's pretty massive. Like my boss, ledger gate, like at, at great American mining, Todd, our CEO, like he's, he's getting hit from all angles. Like he's wise enough to avoid the phishing scams, but he showed me like at least four examples of hackers taking this download and trying to fish. Yeah, I mean, it's just a, I, I, we've we've talked about it at length, but this guy does a really good job breaking it down, um, and he did confirm with what I thought earlier, which is that, at the end of the day, the goal is is to basically get you to download fake software that then gets you to put your seed in, and and the hacker takes the seed, which is your secret word phrase. It's usually twelve or twenty four words, and once they have that word phrase, they're able to take your funds. Um, so, I mean, first and foremost, like you should not be clicking links uh, from Bitcoin companies telling you to download software. Um, you should pretty much never, except for in emergency situations, put your seed into a, directly into the computer. If you're using a hardware wallet, um, unless obviously you know what you're doing and it's like an offline cold storage computer purposely for the, the point that never connects to the internet. But if you're a hardware wallet user, you should always, when it comes time to restore, you should be restoring directly into your hardware wallet. Yes. Like on the device. Yeah, I mean, I think I mentioned it last week or the week before, whenever we talked about the phishing attempts uh, by the ledger hacker last, but I had a freak email me, like thinking that the actual phishing email was legit and tell me to warn other people. And I had to be like, dude, do not download that software and put any information in it. Um, so they they got this information because they compromised Ledger's web shop. Yes. Um, and, we reported and so on Ledger's, this earlier in the year, correct? Yeah, I think that was July or something. And so like this is like, exa- you know, part of the reason why KYC is so dangerous, right? Because in this case, it's not formal KYC. Um, 
but it is personal information on your customers, right? And and if that is stored insecurely, uh, then it becomes like a major attack vector uh, for those same customers because they have they have whatever they have your whatever email address provided, what phone number you provided, um, and then they have potentially they have shipping address. I don't think they store a billing address, but shipping address and billing address. Um, and you know, that's why it's so important to, for, for starters at the very least is to, to try and use one of these remailer services or a PO box, um, or at least ship it to your office. Uh, one thing that I've done in the past, um, which I'm actually, uh, going to do this month for some people, uh, is I ship it to, if you're like leaving an apartment for the city dwellers, or if you're leaving a house and, uh, you know, you rented it out and you're, you're leaving your leases ending, just get a bunch of Bitcoin shit shipped there as a last hurrah. Um, and then also you could always do conferences and meetups, you know, hopefully as, as Bitcoin gets more adoption, you'll be able to buy all this shit like Best Buy and stuff for cash. And then you won't have that issue. But right now there's these growing pains there. Yeah. And hopefully things like Spectre and uh, sort of generalized computing hardware repurposed for Bitcoin becomes more popular as well. So it becomes easier. Yeah, that's, I mean, I go back and forth. No, I don't go back and forth. I'm just, actually, I don't go back and forth that often about it. But now that we're talking about it, it's been cited in my head. Like, is the future of securing your Bitcoin on a hardware device paved by the Bitcoin specific hardware or more general hardware? Like, do we get away from the treasures, ledgers, cold cards of the world? I mean, I think that's, it's going to be a combination. It'll always be a combination. I think multi-sig as multi-sig matures, it's going to become even more, more the case. Um, and I, I think that you know as as bitcoin adoption increases that won't be a heuristic anymore it won't be a heuristic you know who owns bitcoin like whoever bought a ledger owns bitcoin uh because they'll just assume that everyone has bitcoin or everyone has access to bitcoin if they need to right um even today like when you see ransomware um they don't necessarily target bitcoiners they hit a hospital and they tell the hospital you got to has five million dollars and, and you can figure it out like go get bitcoin we know you have the money go get bitcoin and fucking pay us um so i think it kind of neutralizes a bit there and like even today like general purpose hardware doesn't solve this shipping thing like when i like if you get a laptop you should not ship a laptop to your home address right you should you should at least use a remailer address but ideally you know you go to the store and buy it with cash um because you know we saw we saw the U.S. government intercept uh, general purpose computing equipment in the Snowden leaks, and and who else knows what else goes on there, and like what gets logged, and what's you know what data is getting collected. So I, I don't think general purpose computing actually helps us that much in that situation. It does you know kind of right now. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, right now I guess the way it helps is as a hacker getting access to a database of a company selling general purpose computer, you can't assume that every person buying that computer is a Bitcoin user. Whereas with a hardware wallet, you could probably make that assumption. Um, I don't think. Right. A hundred percent. But, or like a, a, a government, like if, if you're no KYC and you don't want your government to know, uh, 
that they might find out through like a ledger database or something. But of course, they also might find out from, you know, harvesting IP addresses that hit Coindesk or hit, you know, uh, any of the block explorers, you know, who knows, like, especially if they have ads and then they partner with Google Analytics and they have this and then that. So there's like a bunch of ways they can profile Bitcoin users, even if they use general purpose hardware. And like I said, I think, you know, as as adoption increases, just everyone just becomes a Bitcoiner. Yeah. So go out there and tell people to adopt more Bitcoin. We don't want to be sitting out here like sitting ducks freaks. That's a very good point, though, like tracking. Yeah, that would be the easiest way to track. Like, what are people searching on Twitter? What are they searching on Google? What websites are they going to? There's so many ways to track. It's exhausting to try to stay away from all that. Let's do your best, freaks. One step at a time. It'll get better. One little improvement. Every little improvement helps. Getting quickly into uh, to software updates here. Short list today. But we've got a lot of meaty topics uh, outside of the software updates that doesn't won't make for a short episode. Uh, spoken to the Noddle team earlier. Noddle version 0.1.2 has been released. If you're running Noddle, make sure you go download that. Uh, Dojo and One Out coming in a few days that was on november 8th so i'm assuming uh that is available now at this point on the 12th tomorrow's friday the 13th uh version 0.1.2 of nidal they added rescan to whirlpool cli uh fixed a fully noted qr code link and that's the only release notes i'm reading because i don't want to sound like an idiot uh fully noted desktop version 0.2.1 has been released uh, Sparrow version 0.9.7 has been released if you're running Sparrow Wallet. MyNode version 0.2.18 has been released. Umbrel version 0.2.14 has been released. Ride the Lightning version 0.9.3 has been released. Shout out to the Ride the Lightning team. You guys have been beasting. Um, did I see Zeus release something last week? I know it's not on the list, but I remember retweeting that. Ooh, I missed it then. I think it might have been in the last week. I think Zeus did release something recently, but it might have just nabbed last week. Well, anyway, if you use Zeus, check to see if there's an update. Um, on the Noddle update, the big one for me was uh, in the UI now uh, with the mempool increases. Um, he gave you, instead of having to manually go to the configuration file, which resets every update, um, you can set in the UI... Uh, if you want your mempool to be larger than the standard 300 megs, um, basically when it hit the 300 megs threshold, it was throwing out one SAP per byte transaction. So if you want to be the guy, the last hodler of the one SAP per byte transactions to rebroadcast them to the rest of the network, um, you can go and easily increase um, your mempool size. And then the other thing he took from the configuration file and then put on the directly on the UI is an easy way to set minimum and maximum channel size uh, for Lightning. Uh, so if you don't want someone to open a bunch of little channels with you for 15,000 sats, that will probably burn you in, when the fees increase. You can easily set uh, a better threshold. Um, and then with RTL, this update actually should have been mentioned in the last the last episode and made a mistake and, and didn't cover it, uh, was also another fee-based update, a big fee-based update, which allows you to use child paid for page for parent to bump a channel open if your channel open is stuck in the mempool because you picked too low of a fee. 
Um, That's pretty so just huge. Something to keep in mind there. And and yeah, exactly. And it's I think it's just another case of why it was good that we had this nice little fee FOMO event. I think to scare some you know extra changes into people as this bull run gets going. Yeah. Shout out to the dynamic duo, running ride the lightning. Got to get them on the pod. We do. Sue Heavy, if you're listening, let's make it happen. Love you, freaks. I missed the New York crew. Did you meet up with the New York crew yesterday? No. No. No, I I, I uh, had a personal event, so I had to miss it, but I did see a bunch of Bitcoiners on Monday, and it was a good time. Hell yeah. What was uh, What was the highlight? Just staking Bitcoiners uh, and talk of corn pumping. Yeah, you were you were telegramming me during that. A lot of love was sent your way. I haven't. Uh, well, I'm sending the love back. I'm getting the love back. I haven't met personally with a Bitcoiner in over a month. It feels like now. It's weird. I'm bouncing ideas off normies. It's uh, <laughs> they're not well accepted. We have a long way to go, freaks. This is uh, you're going to explain this to me. So did you see that Wasabi Wallet has been pumping this blog post about Wasabi 2.0? What's Wabasabi? So is this a new protocol? Wait, yeah. So a freak tagged us in one of those Wasabi 2.0 posts and wanted our opinion, right? Mm-hmm. Part of Wasabi 2.0 is a whole new implementation, like a completely different spec, a completely different coin join implementation that they want to uh, put into place. And they're calling it Wabisabi. Okay. The idea is that it's you're it's supposed to on a high level it's supposed to be able to do coin join without having equal outputs, um, which is obviously a big limitation of of current of the current implementations, right? Um, and the idea is that you can have users who are both. Thank you. Yes, you're on the mic. From them. They're gonna hear that. It's got nice ice refill for my wifey. Um, beautiful. Sorry. I'm sorry. For I think we can, no, no worries, but it got very loud. So we should cut that part a little bit. Um, 4618. We'll see if we remember 4718. Okay. I wrote it down. 4618. Um, okay. Let me, where I forget where I was. Okay. So the idea is that it's a coin join implementation that doesn't have equal outputs that people can spend in it to another address, or they could be actively, uh, you know, doing rounds. It is very, uh, it's very hard to understand, to be quite honest. The spec is a little bit convoluted and confusing. Adam Gibson, Waxwing, um, uh, creator join market, maintainers, right, of join market, um, did his analysis of it. Uh, he seems to be pretty positive about it. But I am, to me, it just sounds like bullshit. To to be quite honest, it just sounds like bullshit. So, you know, right now their blog post says that it's going to be as as early as three months or as late as a year. Um, And they gave like a bell curve. Um, So if you ask Marty, when 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 the Ethereum guys give those kind of predictions, those kind of estimates, he tends to go on the the later side. I think Marty would go to infinity. Um, so, uh, I, I personally think 
it's it's kind of ridiculous to talk about it right now. Like, let me see a spec. Let me see actual software that I could use, right? And let's see if it works. Like, I don't, uh, there's not much constructive I can say, except that it seems very convoluted and over my head and I'm confused by it, right? And I, I, I do find it interesting um, that we've been describing all of these flaws with the current spec of Wasabi and getting shat on for it while they haven't been fixed. And now they're announcing this massive overhaul change in like a blog post that has like very little details to it. Like, well, I just, it's, it's, to me, it seems like an admission that the Wasabi spec does have these inherent flaws. Yeah. A whole new implementation would allude to the shortcomings that you just described. And I completely agree. I don't have the ability to judge the merits of the uh, Wabasabi proposal. Uh, I think I'd do a much better job of determining whether or not it is uh, a good idea or not. If it was implemented, I could play around with it. I think you got to Satoshi this. Satoshi wrote the code and ran the code before he wrote the right, wrote the white paper. So run the code, get it out there, have people test it, run it through the analytics tools to see if those coin joins can be followed and then determine from there whether or not it is sufficient. I will say um, Waxwig giving it somewhat of an endorsement does make me want to try it out, but again, get it out there so we can try it out. I'm not going to say anything definitively about the efficacy of the product until it exists. Yeah, his his positive take on it definitely... Um you know, makes me more optimistic, but I did like, just be clear. Like this is, there's so much stuff that's going on in the space. Like I, it's just a general rule of thumb I have that I try not to focus too much on things that don't exist yet. Um, and focus on, on what's here now and, and, and usable that you can actually test out. Cause otherwise you just end up arguing theories when there's like five people that understand it potentially, if it does make sense. Yeah. Get it in um, the wild, let it run free. And let the market decide. But, uh, yeah, I mean, even his, like, he tries to, like, there's just just so much, it's just so dense. It's so dense. To me, it's like, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's just, I, I, my gut keeps thinking, like, it's like moon math. That it's like, it's when you see things that are overly complicated, you tend to, I tend to recoil. How do they do? You know, I'm like, what's trying to, like, hide, what's hiding in here? How do they do unequal outputs? That's what I don't like. Get. I should like I I I I wish someone could just easily explain it to me. And I think that if if you can't have someone easily explain what it is, um, and like how it works, it tends to not be a good sign. But we'll see. I'll keep looking into it, and if I if I figure it out more, I'll I'll let the freaks know. Um. Yeah. Yeah, maybe there's a freak out there listening who can explain it to us and in a way that we understand it quickly. But again, interesting. We'll be following the developments of Wabasabi and any implementation when and if it gets released. Uh, we'll keep you freaks abreast. Our good friend Joe Rogers launched the Words Bitcoin Journal for October. I believe there's 11 hours of content. 
or something like that. I haven't checked this month. There's plenty of content for you guys to read that was produced in the month of October 2020. 134 minutes, so that's way less than 11 hours. It's 2 hours and 14 minutes. Um, so if you're looking for a Saturday morning, I strolled through some quality Bitcoin content. Joe Rogers has uh, aggregated that in his words, Bitcoin Journal. We're going to link to that. You can check that out. Crush a, a pot of coffee and learn about Bitcoin. And if you enjoy it, make sure to drop some sats his way. Yes. Interesting. The OKEX saga goes on. So OKEX had withdrawals uh, abruptly halted probably about a month, month and a half ago. People thought there was a hacker um, or regulators were clamping down on them, but it's becoming, I don't want to say it's becoming evident, but now there are rumors circling that it is a power play by the CCP uh, to sort of let rich Chinese individuals who have been leveraging OKEX to know that they're watching. Uh, interesting that this is happening as the CCP is uh, releasing documents explaining their intention to enter the quote-unquote CBDC, Central Bank Digital Currency Realm, and, and launch a digital yuan. Uh, and I guess what I've seen at least from that uh, story, particularly the the digital yuan, is that once that is launched, they're going to ban and make it illegal to support any competitors, of which I would define Bitcoin a competitor of that. I don't know if this OKEX sh- shutdown has anything to do with that particularly, but well, I don't I mean, know. We've China's had so only ch- banned Bitcoin like 25 yeah, times Yeah, that's what I was going to say. We're gonna, we've had so many China bans over the last <laughs> seven years. It's like, which one do you take seriously? Probably none of them. The most thing, the thing that's most important here is not your keys, not your coins. Exactly. And if you Chinese freaks listening, if you have your coins on exchanges, just know the CCP may come and say, hey, you can't take those coins anymore. Um, actually, not on the list, but probably should mention it. My son is joining the podcast right now. He's <laughs> very, he feels, he feels for the OKEX uh, hodlers who do not get their coins off the exchange. He's like, what were you thinking? Not your I like keys, the idea that he, he cries every time not, he hears not your keys, not your coins. <laughs> yes, he has. Just, uh, it's crazy. He's almost nine months old and he just has this innate uh, sympathy, empathy for people who do not hold their, their coins. It's not sympathy. It's uh, a disgust. Like, how, how are you not doing this? You have the ability to take control of your bearer asset, your digital bearer asset, and yet you leave it at the whim of, of an exchange that's at the whim of the Chinese Communist Party. Don't do it. Don't do it, freaks. But one thing, not on the list that I was getting to, segueing to, uh, that we should talk about, I wrote about it yesterday in the event, is China's grip on Hong Kong. They just made a law that if you uh, are in the Hong Kong parliament, I mean, they're still trying to act like there's some de-alienation between China. There isn't. There is none. And I think this week made that all the more evident uh they basically wrote a law didn't write a, like wasn't passed by anything they pushed through a law that said hey if you're unpatriotic we have the right to disqualify you from the hong kong parliament and they i believe they did disqualify a couple or a few parliament members four. for they disqualified after four. that 
disqualified four, and then the rest of the pro-democracy parliament members remaining on the Hong Kong legislature uh, left. They just got up and It was like 20-something. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's fucked, fucked, man. It's coming. Ugh. It's like, and that's what I said yesterday in the bet. Like, to think that this model is not actively being replicated in countries outside of China is naive. If you think that, it's happening. Hundred percent. Be aware, freaks. The intelligence. The U.S. isn't immune to it either. Like. U.S. intelligence agencies want to be better than China's surveillance state. They've said this openly. They're going to be creating the conditions. They're thinking about a central bank digital currency as well. And that is the... Like if a central bank digital currency is a Trojan horse to control populations wholesale. When you can decide how much money people make, how the people can access their money how much money people can access at any given point in time, what they can spend that money on, whether or not they can spend that money at all, you control people. It's happening. There's a freak out there who created this, well, first of all, snagged the site before I could snag it, and then created the site cuckbucks.com. Shout out to to that freak. Uh, Finally, a secure digital currency just for globalist cucks. (laughs) <laughs> because the site is fucking ridiculous. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, they control the money. And if you can control the money, then it's very easy to control people. And if, if even if you don't control the money, but you can track the money, um, then you can use state, state coercion to control the people as well. Um, so it's important that every person realizes um, what's at stake here and, and starts making moves to protect them in their own. Yeah. But think about how fucked up that is. Like, so we're at the point now where basically all financial transactions outside of cash, maybe if you're able to hide from the cameras that are everywhere, uh, and some cryptocurrencies, Bitcoin included, if you're able to use it correctly. and Nobody's using cash. Very digitally, but some people are. And it's already started to look suspicious when you use it. Yeah. Like even we're there. Few, few use cash. And they want to take it to another point where it's like, we literally want to dictate what you can buy, how much money you can send, whether or not you can send. Like that is the granular control these authoritarians and fascists will have over uh, your ability to move the money that you worked hard, you expended your scarce time resources for to attain they will have granular controls. Like, hey, I noticed you wanted to buy a gram of weed, but um, yeah, you're not allowed to with this digital dollar. Like, you can only spend it at these partnered retailers. Like that, or religious text. Yeah, exactly. You, you can't buy the Bible. You know what? We killed religion. You you heard us, Marty, when you when you when you moved to the weed as the example. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, you can't buy the Bible. You know what? You're not allowed. Do you want to buy Gideon's Bible? Nope, not that either. Only the approved Bible. Yeah, the, the, <laughs> the Marxist Manifesto. The other fucked up thing das is that like, financial incentives are set up in a way 
that have created this like corporate surveillance behemoths, right? Where where they companies like PayPal are 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 using the data as an additional revenue stream. Companies like Google and Facebook have literally, you know, their whole monetization strategy is just corporate surveillance. It's just to track users as much as possible. So they already once you add these centralized third parties, um, it adds these rent seeking spots where they can basically uh, they're incentivized to take your data and and sell it. And this loops back to our initial topic. Like I think the value for value model. Uh, I don't know. I, there's something there of flipping that that aggregated consumer data sold by advertisers to add to bottom lines. I think there is a flipping potential with the value for value model. I don't know. I we could, need it. We really do. Like if you if you want true liberty, autonomy, and freedom in the digital age. But it's like, does it like like you were saying? Does it add? Does it create a better user experience? I think it can. I, I think, think it, it makes can. better content. I do as well. Collect. I think I think like a lot of the stuff you talk about, like fake news and stuff. A lot of the ales we have in the current media landscape, uh, along with the privacy concerns, uh, kind of start to work themselves out if you have a better incentive model there. I think like one of the things that I've learned from Bitcoin is that if you, if you have a better incentive, if you're able to construct a better incentive, um, then everything else can work itself out. That's usually the cleanest way of doing something. You don't need a bunch of regulations and all this different shit. If you just have like a working incentive to begin with. I completely agree. There's something there. We're, we're off the beaten path right now. Does it feel that way to you? I'm excited. I'm hyped about this shit. I think... Uh, I mean, but generally, I, I'm hyped about the shit we're talking about. I'm not talking about that beat path. I'm talking about... Yeah, I'm excited. I'm talking about I society think, at large, or like central bank digital currencies. Yeah, I think we're in one of the time. You know, it's a special... It's a, it's a special time in history where a lot of shit is going down. Um, and that can be scary, but that also means that there's a ton of opportunity. Uh, like, there's no experts. And that's pretty crazy to me. I, I think uh, like that's the kind of time I want to be alive, right? That's, that's when my, my ears perk up and I get really excited. What happens next? But I think it could be very painful. That is scary, but I think it's you know, overwhelmingly exciting. Yeah. I go back and forth. Like today was a very optimistic bet. Like we're going to be bigger than the world reserve currency. Bitcoin success is inevitable. I think I had to extrapolate on that. Like I, I can go. I like to think I can hold many ideas in my head at the same time. Like, hey, Bitcoin's future success is not foregone conclusion based off the fact that these governments can track and try to confiscate. But then it's like the technology exists. It's here. It works. There's no denying it. It is undeniably a better technology than has ever existed up to this point in time to uh, achieve the task of, of doing at its most essential form accounting. Like there's no denying that. Like you can't shut Pandora's box on that. And the fact that more and more people are waking up to this every day, like gives me the, this is fucking inevitable vibe. But then 
luckily I'm able to sit down with you every week and we talk about the shortcomings. It's like, all right, keep your uh, emotions tempered a bit. Uh, but it's, it's playing that, that give and take of being ultra bullish and, I think it just depends on the time preference, right? Like long-term, I'm bullish as fuck. I just think it's a, no one really knows um, how painful the short-term will be, yeah. short to medium-term is. See, I, um, like, like yeah. th- this week I'm in a like, it's going to come faster than people realize type mentality. I don't know why. It's probably the price. But that's bump. where you really need to stay humble, yeah. right? Because like, I, I mean, we're, we're not there yet, right? But I remember those like 15 days between 10 and 20K uh, or like 20 days, however many days it was, where I was just like hyper-Bitcoinizations upon us, it's happening, right? And I, I, I know it's going to happen again, uh, like at some point, and you got to just be ready to just knock yourself in the balls, be like, no, Matt, just chill the fuck out. Maybe it is happening, maybe it's not, but just chill the fuck out. Um, but like a perfect example of, of my theory um, that if you burn people enough times, um, they'll start to realize is like all of a sudden... Uh, it's back in the news and there's probably a new 20 million people that have learned, or maybe less, I mean, I'm being too optimistic, 10 million people that have learned that none of our election machines are open source. Dude, um, how ridiculous which is, is it? Which is something, which is something that, the, that the left learned last election. Um, and I, I think, because I, whoever loses ultimately starts looking into stuff and realizes like how fucked up it is. And I, I, I think that these types of moments are where people get burned and they waken and they realize um, like that we can't solve our society through those existing systems. You need to build outside, you have to build parallel and just uh, like build around it and fix it with free open source software. I sent that tweet out over the weekend. Uh, vote counting software should be open source software the whole stack should be open source yeah, I completely agree with that but like i i don't want to say i was trolling i was baiting people like to see how dumb people are like if you can try to refute that people were like oh you mad about the results i was like no like this is just like no matter what side you're on this should be a foregone conclusion like the voting counting the vote counting software should be open source and should have very clearly defined input variables and clearly defined output variables that lead to it, it should not be connected to the internet no it should be open source you should have a little box next to the thing that prints out a little paper receipt you put the paper receipt in the box then worst comes to worst you can just check the box of the paper receipts um and and the person is manually putting it in so they can check to make sure the paper receipt says the same thing they voted for and that solves 99 percent of problems and the other thing that's really fucked up that always gets hidden in this discussion is not only are these voting machines closed source, but the corporations that maintain these closed source voting machines can provide unlimited anonymous legal donations to our politicians. So this one, in, like, this if, one in question right now, Dominion. I'm pretty sure it like has direct connections with the Democratic National Committee. It, it uh, the, my point is is you will never see. Uh, you will never see that reformed because they support the politicians in the background to make sure that never happens. Like if, if, if you think it, like it's, it's way bigger than red versus blue or whatever, it's like corporation versus not. Um, it's a corporate controlled government. I think free and open elections, they literally, they market it free and open elections. Like it should be free and open 
source software. Like it should be a no. That should be a non-starter. Like let it's me. Never see. gonna happen though. <laughs> Why? Like, well, if that's the case, freaks. If it's never gonna happen, do you really want to subject yourself to that? No, that type localism of fixes this. I agree. I agree. I think. I think when when governance is more local. There's more skin of the uh, game. Scrutiny. Yeah, it's skin and just skin in the game, checks and balances. The incent like it goes back to the incentives. Like the incentives are better lined up to to not have this kind of fuckery. Yeah. Uh didn't say we we're getting on the election stuff, but yeah. I mean it's pretty well, the open source stuff has been a like has been a sore point for me since I don't even know how long. Yeah. So it's like it's always good to, I think I think every election, it's important to remind people that it's... Uh, By the way. <laughs> that none of the machines are open source. Do we have... Is, is Biden the president-elect? Like, is that, like, confirmed? Like, what is going on? I mean, I first of all, fuck FTX for closing their market. Um, see, that's the problem with centralized third parties. That's fucking bullshit. Um, so, so FTX... Uh, settled it for Biden. I mean, look, I think, I think, uh, I think Biden is clearly the president. He he won uh, by our traditional rules. Um, you know, I I don't. I, I obviously think there's plenty of issues with our electoral system to begin with, as I said. Um, but I think what's going to happen right now is, if I if I had a bet on it, is is Trump is going to basically play every single thing that was just taken for granted as like a good faith thing that the previous president did and and make it make it so those things need to be written down at some point or they will be exploited every time um so like i th- there could be like elector fuckery fuckery and stuff but like our elections are super if you want if you're a person in power and you want to dispute the election it's super easy to dispute it especially if you're the incumbent like there's a million different things he can do and he's doing them. So, but, and I think people shouldn't be surprised. Like this is what I, I expected on both sides. I think whoever, um, lost was going to dispute this election. Well, they, um, both sides postured like they were going to for, for months on end before it even, before you'd approach November 2nd or 3rd, whenever the vote was. Yeah, but I think the, with the incumbent, it's it's a hell of a lot easier, right? So so the but, question becomes, you know, who knows who knows what happens. I'm getting here. down to semantics though. Like, did like did the media just proclaim that? Like, are the votes being done, being counted? Like, we have states slipping right now. Like, did recounts factor? Like, I'm being dead serious. Like, is that date well, I, middle of December actually when you have a president elect? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, the middle of December is when we have the electors, the electors go and vote, right? And per most state laws, my understanding is that they vote with however their their state went. Um, and there's a couple states that, that split it up proportionally with how their state went, but most of them just give all in, right? Um, and, and, but that's not a hard rule. <laughs> so... Technically, I think in most states, like the electors can just come and they can just vote the opposite their way their state went. Like it's just like how it's been done in the past or whatever. Um, but yeah, I the the I I don't. I think it was ridiculous. Um, I I think I think it's ridiculous that the 
self-proclaimed Democrats were like partying in the streets when there was like this, this, this most basic ass announcement that he was projected to win. Um, when they knew, you know, you know, I'm a man of jinxes, right? So if I was them, I wouldn't want to do that and jinx, jinx the situation. But at the same time, uh, like as an American, like I kind of just, you know, I, I, I prefer if this wasn't like a prolonged fucking thing. Oh, uh, you know, like I, I, as, as far as I'm concerned, like, I don't, I don't know. I, it's, it's just, I feel like I'm stuck in the fucking middle in this fucking country. Um, I think I spent like the last four years of one side saying that the election was bogus and the other side saying, you got to trust the results. And then that just flipped. Um, and, and also, you know, the side that three months ago said protests weren't okay now says protests are, are good to go. Um, and those are my people. So like, I, <laughs> I'm, I'm the people that are, are critical, but it just seems like it flips every fucking, all the fucking time. It's very exhausting to say the least. Yeah. It'll be interesting. I don't think it's going to end anytime soon. I mean, what is interesting is you see Biden, he's already, uh, like he's picking big Republicans, right? For like his cabinet and shit. He's got the war party all ready to go. We're going back to Syria. I think, We're not that's, I out think it's because they're worried. They're worried, right? That Trump doesn't step down. And they're trying to get them all in line. I, I, this is why I Bitcoin, man. I like. I, I agree. I wish I agree. we didn't have this conversation. I don't even know why we went down this route. Uh, um, I think it was election security. But uh, yeah, I mean the whole systems the whole system's broken, and and this is why I want you know more local governance, and why I want open source voting standards and just open source software in general and encryption for everybody, easily accessible encryption for everyone. Well, if you're in the European um, Union and money, the the EU Council is moving to to end your encryption. There's an encryption resolution. I've gone back and forth. I actually, I almost wrote about this in the bent on Tuesday. But I saw people uh, giving pushback on this particular headline, and it's not um, not entirely true that the EU is going to ban end-to-end encryption. Uh, they were just proposing uh, a ban and the benefits it would. I don't think they said like recommended it. I think they were just walking through what a ban would look like of end-to-end encryption. Um, I see people go back and forth whether or not they'll actually implement it. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, it's it clearly proposes a ban to end encryption. I mean, and they do the same exact thing that the Department of Justice letter did, where they're like, we support strong encryption and privacy standards, and they're like, but we need to be able to access it at will. <laughs> Which is like, if you're able to access it at will, then there's a backdoor and that backdoor can get compromised and probably will get compromised. So it's basically a ban on end-to-end encryption. Um, whether that can be enforced is obviously it can't be, um, but they can hurt law abiding citizens like very easily. They can make it way more difficult for people to access encryption. And I, I think, you know, this like goes back, like this is a, you know, a dual party issue in America. Like, both parties want to take away our encryption. Yes. Both parties want to, you know, destroy our privacy and, and, do, all, and do all the important things that, that, that go against all the things that I care about. 
you, um, so, to, so to me, it's 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 kind of an inevitable fight, and in that we just have to be ready for it. Do you mind expect if, worst case scenario? Hope for the best. Do you mind if I go on a European Union rant right now? Go for it. I've been noticing a lot of Europeans just like inserting themselves in the the U.S. election conversation and saying they know what's best for us. I've never in recent months. I don't want to say never, but in recent months, it's really just been like a bunch of Europeans and my mentions, other mentions, telling us how we should run the U.S. Uh, any European freaks out there, let me tell you how you should run the EU. Uh, I get why the EU started. You wanted freedom of labor to move between borders. Uh, you wanted a unified currency so that the labor moving be- between those borders uh, could be paid in the same unit of account. Makes sense. Uh, but your your union of different economies with different GDPs with different economic outputs doesn't make any sense the way it's constructed. What you really want is a Bitcoin standard. You want it the unified, uh, essentially not borderless, but like easy transfer of labor between borders with a common currency. Bitcoin will give you that. You don't need this, this convoluted, you don't need the Euro number one. You don't need this, this bunk European union where you get this, uh, council, of, of politicians that make up the EU that are then able to instill laws over individual European countries. That's not what you want. Um, and I just think the EU, the UN, things like NATO, all these huge uh, entities that represent many countries, it's just bad for the individual within those countries at the end of the day. So EU, what you want. You don't want to ban encryption, so don't let uh, the unelected bureaucrats in the European Union ban encryption in your country within the EU. Uh, And then number two, the solution to your problem is Bitcoin. If you want a currency that you can pay anybody that's moving between borders that is equal on both sides of those borders, that currency is Bitcoin. And that was my EU rant, Matt. Yeah, I mean, I think I understand why people around the world care about U.S. politics because... Uh, we're the most powerful country in the world, and uh, we tend to insert ourselves into their business all the fucking time. So um, they're so they're so they're so pompous about it, though. It's like like why does Bitmex have KYC, Marty? I know that. I know that. I'm not implementing KYC on them. These people right. are talking about like they know what's going on in America. So I just wanted the, to talk there, yeah. like I know what was going on in the EU. I bet like it comes why off is the as travel a, rule? Why is the travel rule getting instituted globally? Well, that is a EU member country. France started. It's because of America. Financial action. It's because of FinCEN. Yeah, it's ultimately it's ultimately an American financial regulation. But who who recommends? It doesn't matter. No, I think it does. It's the American financial apparatus. It's the global financial apparatus. Just so no, I don't know about that. that. I mean, led by America. They're all sucking each other's dicks, dude. So America think. isn't leading the global financial apparatus. Oh, it's certain. I mean, it is, but it's got people beside it. Is. It's got. It, it's a hundred percent. It's got people beside it as well. It's a hundred percent. Ah, we've got a few more topics, freaks. A few big ones. Bloxier. So it's a subsidiary of. See, I didn't want to give them press, but Fluffy gave them press on Twitter, so a bunch of people wanted us to talk about it. Yeah, so it's it's a company, DMG, 
Uh, it's a tiny little mining pool. DMG Blockchain Solutions. It's, it's not. I mean, they want to be a mining pool. I doubt they have significant hash rate. Even they have like nothing. I don't know about like I don't. They have no known hash rate that I know. Of. Yeah, exactly. So it's gonna. In my opinion, it's gonna. It's gonna fail, just as soon as it launches. And that's like, we can get into the beauty of mining pools and the way they're constructed. Uh, well, let's just go over the idea of what Blockseer is first. Yeah, so Blockseer wants to launch a Bitcoin mining pool focused on good governance, auditability, and OFAC compliance. So basically, they want to create a uh, mining pool that KYCs the individual miners and make sure that they're not uh, facilitating any transactions from addresses that are on the OFAC blacklist. Uh, this is something we've talked about on this podcast. I've been uh, running around really trying to bring attention to the fact that if you really wanted to depreciate Bitcoin's permissionless nature, excuse me, you would attack the mining pools and force them to KYC. Um, unfortunately for Blockseer, the first mining pool in Canada and North America attempting to do this, like I don't think they're going to get any demand. Because um, again, these, these whitelisted mining pools are just simply not as profitable. And the services offered by mining pools outside of Canada and the United States um, are simply better. And even within Canada and the United States, there's North American mining pools that aren't going to implement this. So as a user of the mining pool, uh, you're just automatically disincentivized to use Bloxier. The question is is whether or not Bloxier is uh, the class niche that creates these guidelines, brings them to regulators, say, hey, we're we're by the book and this, this, and Which this Which is way. what chain analysis did. Yeah. So they're going to try it. I don't think it'll be successful in the long run. You'll have P2P pools. You'll have dark pools. You'll have people hiding miners. It's a, a fight that is going to be uh, fruitless at the end of the day. If anything, you're just going to impede entrepreneurial innovation within the borders that you try to enact these regulations. But seems like people are going to try. We talked about it with the SLIPC group about a month and a half ago. Bloxier is the next. They're not significant in terms of hash rate dedicated to their pool at this given point in time. I don't see them gaining any any material traction moving forward either, but we'll see. Um, yeah, so I mean, just to add there, like, uh, like if you want to censor Bitcoin transactions, this is how you try and do it. You try and get uh, miners to agree to a block list. Um, with the caveat there, the big caveat, um, one that Eric Voskul talks about a lot is that you need all miners on board and presumably you're always going to have some miners that aren't on board. So if you have a transaction that maybe is getting censored by the so-called compliant miners, um, you can just keep raising your transaction fee till one of those smaller miners is incentivized to actually pick up and pay for your fee. So presumably those so-called compliant miners will be making less money and they will be financially disincentivized from doing mass censorship of transactions. Now, that doesn't really protect us as much from like one or two transactions getting uh, censored, um, especially if non-compliant pools are like extra small. But I think at the same time, what happens here is we have ASIC life cycles are, are increasing, they're lengthening in time. Uh, it used to be like you bought like a ant miner and that thing was like fucking outdated within a couple months. Now they're lasting much longer and that trend should continue. Mixed with these kind of compliance overhead things that, that bigger miners are going to have to deal with, 
we should probably see more distribution on mining. Um, you know, things like Marty's company, GAM, where they're putting them out on wells are one thing. And we're seeing that right now because they have a direct financial incentive. But I'm thinking even smaller than that. I'm thinking like people put it in their boilers uh, to subsidize their heat and they're all they're, they're running the whole thing through a VPN. Um, so their IP is not exposed and they're using a non-KYC pool. Um, that that person uh, might be able to mine at a significantly better uh, revenue level because they don't have to deal with that compliance and they're getting the fees from the non-compliant so-called transactions. Yeah, and completely agree with that. Yeah, the economic incentives just don't make sense for these KYC mining pools. Like you mentioned, like Eric Voskule beats the drum on, like if there is one mining pool out there with a substantial amount of hash rate, and I don't think it would only be one, I think it would be a couple of handfuls to dozens of mining pools willing to offer uh, the facilitation of any transaction that wants to be set on the Bitcoin network. Like miners, even if they're miners in America and they're being forced to use this less profitable uh, mining pool, they will shut down their Ameri their operations on U.S. soil and move their hardware to places where they're able to be as profitable as possible. Like, I think this is a dead-on arrival. I mean, I, I bet there will be some pools that implement it, but I think it will die pretty quickly because of profitability. People will either move or they'll just give up, be like, hey, it's honestly not worth it. Like, I can't be as profitable as I want to. My but you could say the same exact argument about hosting an exchange in the United States, but that didn't stop regulators from putting a shit ton of overbearing regulation on them. Uh, no, I would say there is a difference where they're trying to get dollars from U.S. citizens who are the largest, most robust consumers in the world, whereas the Bitcoin network can accept transactions from anybody. Fair, but I mean, I think it definitely, um, it definitely did a chilling effect on U.S. on U.S. Bitcoin businesses, right? U.S. Bitcoin businesses are definitely at a disadvantage opposed to uh, yeah. non-U.S. businesses well, depends that on maybe what... don't have the overbearing regulation. Like I can see the the mining industry in North America, particularly, is full of a bunch of free. Well, like Binance, does Binance ever get built in America? I don't think so, no. All right. And like the way regulatory capture works is like we got Coinbase, you know, you like have like one or two big dogs and then they like build this moat where like there's no competition. There's like different dynamics though, right? Mining pool is very, very specific. Like literally just, hey, put your hash rate at us. If an individual miner within our pool mines a block, we divvy up that reward between a lot of us it's very straightforward whereas the the nature of launching shit coins offering shit coins getting people early access to shit coins is a completely different regulatory environment where this is straightforward you're literally just processing data at the end of the day if you want to distill it to its most granular form you're solving a hash function so you're going to add a block to the bitcoin blockchain in return for a monetary reward in the form of the reward which is made up of the subsidy and the fees and at the end of the day, you're basically finding a hash, aggregating messages in the form of transactions into a block and broadcasting that block to the network. You're just sending a message. So that message 
say, hey, go go bomb something? No. It's just like literally here is what happened at this given point in time that I am allowed to broadcast to the network. And I think at a constitutional level, at a freedom of speech level, like it's going to be hard to perturb that function as materially as you could perturb the function of a crypto exchange offering arguably unregistered securities in the form of ICO tokens and other stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, I, I, and I, I tend to agree, and I think that one of the key elements here is going to be the fact that you're able to mine with in low bandwidth environments, um, so you can do it privately. And I, I shout think out Starlink. A lot of people don't realize. Shout out Starlink. I got it right. It's not Skynet. Starlink. Yeah, but yeah, exactly. But even without Starlink, uh, I mean, there's some miners that you take an efficiency hit, but they're they're using uh, cell cell connections. Um, cell connections, VPNs. You can use Blockstream satellite on the receiving side. Yeah. Ton of options out there. It's so exciting. But so the key fun. is to keep, that's one of the reasons why blocks are small, right? Or, or haven't been increased. Yes. Some would argue they're already pretty big. Yes. It's um, Rusty, Russell, want them to be bigger. You, we're not going to get tail emissions and we're not going to get bigger blocks in my lifetime, I don't think. So you can, you can try to fight that battle. I don't think you're going to win. Uh, the Nigerian government is blocking protest bank accounts and they're turning to Bitcoin. Uh, yeah, I mean, this is why we Bitcoin. Yeah. Trust the third parties, man. They get pressed as soon as, as, soon as you need them. Yeah, and again, uh, I think we brought this up two weeks ago. If any of you Nigerian freaks out there uh, want to reach out and catch us up to speed with what's going on in Nigeria specifically, I think Nathaniel Whitmore actually had uh, Keen Sawyer from the Decred team who we met at a Ledger event last year, man. Oh, he's great. Yeah, great dude. Um, not an endorsement of Decred, an endorsement of Vic Keen. Uh, from oh, yeah, I mean, he's a Bitcoiner. He is a Bitcoiner as well. Um, he's Nigerian. And he's Nigerian. Uh, apparently they, he was on an episode. I haven't listened to it yet, so I can't speak to the, um, the content of the episode, the content. I don't know exactly what was talked about, but apparently they're covering, uh, the, the SARS movement on, uh, Nathaniel's podcast. If any of you freaks are listening uh, and happen to be from Nigeria, understand what's going on. I want to fill us in. So we're not spouting, uh, uneducated, uh, talking points here at TFTC, please reach out. Very interesting. It's, I, again, I don't want to speak to the situation because I don't know exactly what's going on, but it seems like uh, government overreach and violence against the citizens that are that are pretty pissed off right now. And if they're shutting down your bank accounts, uh, it's never a good sign. And Nigeria is, I think, one of the most lively P2P Bitcoin marketplaces in the world. So hopefully Bitcoin's helping out uh, in the situation. I can't say whether it is or isn't with any certainty at this point. Well, we know at least some of the big protest movements were taking Bitcoin donations using BTC pay. Yes. Um, so that's obviously a, that's a boost. You know, I, I like to say, you know, Bitcoin comes in when, when there's no other option, when you have no other option. And this is clearly a case of that. Um, I just really wanted to quickly just go back to the election one more time is, is, is like, I firmly believe that 
real Americans should be trying to propose and work forward in terms of fixing our election process for the future so that we have, you know, proper open source systems and, and that things are easily auditable and not like a fucking quagmire rather than every fucking election from here until we die and whoever loses just blowing smoke about how it's it's a fucked up process. Like I, I like fix the process then. Like I don't, I don't, I think it's just creating all this fucking confusion. Every fucking election is just destroying. It's just going to destroy our country. It's happening already. It's happening. It's going to happen. Like it's already been completely destroyed. Open source the code, let people audit on GitHub or you're just talking shit. I tell you, the paper receipt thing is like the most is the single most important Dude. thing, and also blockchain does not fix this. We're not going to put it no, on the blockchain. It's not going on the blockchain. You don't even need a blockchain. Just open source the code. Say this input, this input of these variables produces this output. You can mathematically prove it. You can backtest it. You can get a cryptographic paper token, receipt, paper receipt with a cryptographic token on it that says, "Hey, if you put this through this function, did it get this result?" And you can confirm yes. Like you don't need a blockchain for that. And to be clear, when I say paper receipt, I don't mean one you bring home with you. Because if you bring it home with you, then you can easily buy votes or coerce people into voting. The the paper receipt gets taken out of the machine, puts right in the fucking box. Yeah, I mean, um, I'm I'm in the camp of we will look back years behind us. I think 2008 around then, be like, hey, America got fucked. Then we're on to this new post nation state world. I think we're heading. Why two thousand? Why 2008? The financial, the financial collapse? Yeah, the financial collapse. How about 1971? That'll be... That's when votes in Congress stopped being secret. Right. Um, on, a, on a happier note, I guess, PayPal added Bitcoin IOU support today. And then they had PayPal... Bitcoin IOU support. Huh? I see no, no, doing. it's just like proper, like their Bitcoin support has rolled out. You cannot withdraw, but they've rolled out their Bitcoin support as of today. The wait list is, is there's no longer a wait list. Anyone who wants to can buy fake Bitcoin on, on PayPal. Yeah, we don't recommend it. We recommend you use other means to do it, whether it's not custodial with BISC, HODL, HODL, other options, custodial, like our friends at the Cash App. Withdraw, withdraw, no matter what you choose, withdraw. Withdraw, withdraw, withdraw. All right, big topic. We probably will spend a half an hour on this. I hope we do it. Wait, wait, I just want to, before we before we jump, uh, because we you did mention it, but you mentioned it in the ad, and freaks might skip it. Um, I had two things here. Uh, the first thing is uh, with PayPal, uh, we, we, you know, we like to, everyone likes to attack each other in the space of, of Bitcoin enthusiasts, Bitcoiners, um, and I love it. And we go at each other about best practices and this and that and blah, blah, blah. The overwhelming majority of people are going to get fucked by things like PayPal and buying things when they think it's Bitcoin and it's not Bitcoin. And I, when things like this happen, it reminds me, like, remember, guys, like big picture things, right? Um, that uh, by all means, we should still go after each other's kneecaps. But at the same time, we have to remember that there's there's bigger enemies out there that are going to fuck over way more people um, with less nuanced trade-offs that are just fucking bad trade-offs. And then the second thing is um, it came up again, the cash up withdrawal limits um, and the fact that they're, they're based on fiat. And Marty mentioned this earlier in the episode, but it was, it was in the ad read. Um, and, and 
and and the key there is is as Bitcoin price pumps, you can withdraw less Bitcoin. So you really need to make sure you're on top of that. Like you should be actively withdrawing all the time. And really at any point, any of these regulated institutions, they could just cut off access. So, and really any custodian, they don't even have to be regulated. Um, so you just, you just, you want to always be withdrawing the max amount. So you don't want to have, you don't want to carry a balance in there. You want, you, if you carry a balance in there, you're taking undue risk. Yes. Have a plan. Make sure you're getting your, your sats off the exchange on a cadence. Like if you hit a certain sat threshold or a dollar amount threshold that you're, you should have that dollar amount threshold on these exchanges where it's like, all right, I'm not comfortable having this amount of cash with this centralized entity. I need to sweep to cold storage. Do it sooner than later. Again, Matt and I have talked about this many times on this podcast you will regret it if we're like in the the midst of a raging bull market and you're not prepared like the stress matt started a company because of the stress that he that he incurred during the last bull market barely a company (laughs) i launched a tool at least but yeah i mean you build a product get prepared get prepared you built something let's not shortchange that appreciate that preparation is always good practice makes perfect uh, this was not a message that was sent to the Ethereum team. <laughs> ah, I've been waiting. I've been waiting for an hour and thirty-seven minutes and eighteen seconds to do this. How bad was this fuck up in your mind? Well, I mean, according to Ethereum holders, it wasn't that bad, Marty. All right, so let's go through it. <laughs> this is really bad. This is really bad. So apparently. In July of this year... Are you year, literally eating popcorn? Chips. Oh, okay. Continue. Sorry. I thought you got the popcorn out. <laughs> I got the popcorn out for the... Okay, sorry. I shouldn't have interrupted you. Explain. No, it's all good. It's all good. So, I'm trying to think where I should start. Should I start in res media? Yeah, start in res media. So, yesterday... Yesterday morning, uh, it became apparent that a bunch of exchanges... Uh, we're stopping Ethereum withdrawals and exchanges between accounts and that Infura, which is a company that hosts a lot of uh, Ethereum nodes and does hosting for major companies in the Ethereum space, mainly MetaMask and some of these exchanges, was down as well. And the reason they were down is because uh, they were not up to date on the latest version of geth which is would geth or parity be the bitcoin core of the ethereum world geth yeah so geth's like the bitcoin core good. it's which stands for go ethereum yes so written in go it is their implementation apparently in july of this year uh the development team of geth uh, identified a critical bug and decided to patch it without telling anybody uh, particularly in Fura was one company, very important company that didn't tell. So yesterday, uh, the bug that was patched over by Geth in July of this year was exploited and created a chain split. So in Fura and a bunch of other very important uh, uh, operators in the Ethereum space went offline or actually on a different chain tip 
uh, sending bad blockchain data to their users, and that's why they went down. But the whole story with the saga is is how the the bug was patched, how it was disclosed, or how it wasn't disclosed. It wasn't disclosed to anybody. Like, Infura had no idea that they were supposed to update. The reason Infura went off the chain is because they were running a Geth version that was over a year old. Um, to be responsible. Yes. So there's many nuances here. We'll get into them. Just, just get to TLDR. Um, there was a critical bug discovered in Geth in July. The Ethereum developers, particularly the Ethereum Foundation, which I think maintains Geth or has people... I'm not sure. I don't think that's it. I think they actually have their own. Doesn't really matter. Doesn't really matter. Maintainers of Geth patched the bug without telling anybody, uh, hoping that people would upgrade to the latest version. There was like six people that knew or something, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and they didn't even tell the major infrastructure partners. So usually, and this goes back and forth, like in Bitcoin land too, where like, is there too much centralization? Is there not? Usually there's some backdoor communication that happens, which does itself kind of provide a centralization risk where they like disclose, like you should update on this latest client. It's like really important. You're a major infrastructure provider. Obviously, I mean, you don't want to have major infrastructure providers um, being dominant on the network. That's why it's so important that people use and run their own nodes. Um, Also, what's an interesting thing here is their hard fork happened and they didn't go to the chain that was the old that was the old no. client chain which is what the bitcoin if if it happens in bitcoin the accepted practice is we we all downgrade to the the fork chain that's the older clients so the older clients provide a check years and years of older clients so that you don't have like a uh you know malicious hard fork that happens at the tip uh because the devs decide to implement something but in this case they went on the on the front side uh, on the on the new client and then the other thing here that's interesting is, according to CZ at least, right, Binance uh, had to suspend withdrawal. So also while this is happening, um, you don't really have real price action because all the exchanges are shutting down withdrawals and deposits. Um, so you can't really sell if this is happening, uh, if even if you wanted to. And one of the things that's interesting here, um, well, that I thought was interesting, is... Binance runs their own Ethereum nodes. But their nodes were showing, they check it on Infura's nodes. And when Infura was on a different chain tip than them, they, out of an abundance of caution, cut all of their withdrawals and deposits. And this is what happens when you have a de facto infrastructure provider that 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 uh, an organization like Binance thinks like they have to be sure that they're on the same chain tip because really in Bitcoin land, what happens is um, not only should you be running multiple versions of your own Bitcoin nodes, uh, which a lot of exchanges do. So you run an older clients and you run newer clients uh, so you can match them off of each other. You can also run, this is where the Blockstream satellite node comes in handy because you know if you're getting Eclipse attack because you can base it off of that, that node as well. You have multiple sources of truth that you can base it off of. Yes. And so that's the crazy thing about this. Like Binance arguably was on the right chain by definition put forth by the Geth development team. Uh, but they What is the right chain? Exactly. No. But so I guess the problem with this whole thing is so number one, they didn't advise anybody there was a bug. They didn't notify anybody there was a bug. Basically force an upgrade on people. 
He forced a upgrade to the latest version of Gethon people yesterday when the chain did inevitably fork. It's like, hey, if you want to be on the right chain, you have to download this most recent Geth software, which is a no-no. The man in the coma would not have been able to do that. Uh, and then number three, they still haven't disclosed the bug. And they're like, oh, there's no responsible way to do this, where I tweeted out last night, there's been ex- at least two examples in the last year of the Lightning Network disclosing critical bugs without saying exactly what the bugs were so they couldn't be exploited between the announcement and everybody upgrading. And it seems like the the Geth team particularly is just posturing like, oh, if we said there was a critical bug, it would have been exploited. So like how easy was it to exploit? You could have been nonspecific and still told people they should probably upgrade. It could have been well, a like lot At better. least behind closed doors, like tell, tell if you're to upgrade. I have to pee real quick. Go on a rant. Um, so Marty just left me. Um, that's pretty ridiculous that that happened. One other interesting thing here is, so proof of work provides, um, this objection, you know, this, uh, objective truth that, you know, which chain has, has the most work, the most cumulative work, um, that complies with consensus rules, uh, with proof of stake, you don't have this and they have this thing that they're planning with Ethereum 2 where they want to slash you and you lose funds as a staker if you attack the network. Um, so in this situation, if they were somehow, you know, had implemented their proof of stake at this point, um, massive amounts of, of really legitimate actors, people who weren't attempting to attack the network, would have gotten slashed and lost their funds. And basically what that incentivizes is it incentivizes these stakers in a future ETH2 type of situation to basically use, you know, massive providers. So they make sure that they're never any kind of discrepancy where they didn't update or something and they just got slashed and lost funds. It's, I I love that this is all becoming blatantly obvious to everybody right now. Like the, the natural concentration of, stake to centralized exchanges which is something you've been on longer than anybody i've i've witnessed in this space your thread's what three years old at this point it's like common knowledge now like everyone just accepts it yeah and then on top of that i found out like there's a lockup threshold from east to east 2.0 that if not hit by november 16th will push back the launch of the beacon chain of ETH 2.0 till June of next year. I see. I don't understand any of this. Neither do I. I mean, see, and like, not to throw stones and bring it back, but like, this is what concerns me about Wabi Sabi, right? It's like the same fucking shit. It's just like, it just sounds so confusing. Like, why is it so confusing? Why are you trying to make everything seem so fucking confusing? And it creates all this uncertainty. Like at least with Wabi Sabi, it's just some random implementation, right? Um, but when you're talking about the actual protocol spec, um, that's really, really fucking bad. Like, I don't know like how people deal with that. And I don't know who would really, who in their right mind. And, and someone made a good point. Um, you know, I give Charlie a lot of shit, Charlie Lee. Um, but when Segwit got introduced into Light, Litecoin, he put a million dollars worth of his own Litecoin into a Segwit address and said, if you can hack it, hack it. Um, we know Vitalik's Ethereum wallets, okay? So if they expect anyone to go into this beacon chain, I expect Lubin and fucking Vitalik to fucking put large amounts into it. Put all of it in. Put all of it in. 
Do you have confidence? <laughs> Seriously. No. Do you have skin in the game? Do you have confidence in what you're building? Put all of it fucking in. And starve you until... Heard it, you heard it here s- first. Freak. Starve until it gets fucking launched. Seriously. Like, you, they're... It's so I mean, fucking... They don't have to starve. They can still go basically all in and keep like two million. They have plenty of Bitcoin. Like they have plenty themselves. of Bitcoin. They keep their Bitcoin. <laughs> they can lock up all their Ethereum in this. It's bullshit, man. It's a fucking... Uh, I've said it many times. I've had people laugh at me. Ethereum, and I can't take credit for this quote. It's our good friend Arbed Out, who we're actually sitting down with in the next couple of weeks. Beware, freaks. Uh, he's the one who made this popular. Ethereum's the next Theranos. It's, it, it is laughably uncoordinated uh, running aimlessly around the world. Like they're just pumping narratives into people and hype into people and hoping that they catch on to it. They can't even disclose a fucking critical bug correctly. And to see how all like the Ethereum get devs got all pissed off yesterday was like a beautiful. Oh my God. It's like, bro, Longu like flipped out on them. Right? Like how, you're not going to disclose a critical bug and you're going to let the network hard fork on the two chains and you're going to force the, ne- the, the participants on the network, uh, some of which were, number one, the biggest infrastructure provider in the space and uh, two of the biggest exchanges by volume uh, of your coin got forked off the chain and you're going to force them to upgrade their software. If you can force those two entities to upgrade their software... Uh, it is not hard to believe that you could force a pleb uh, fighting against state intervention. And uh, I mean, the plebs aren't even running their own nodes. No, they're not even using their own nodes. They're not gonna. They don't care. They just whatever MetaMask shows them. MetaMask didn't even fucking work yesterday. So MetaMask showed. I know, you but when MetaMask comes back online, whatever it shows them is is the truth. That's what's that's what they go with. And like, I know there's gonna be a bunch of salty ETH people because of this rant that we just did. Fuck you. Um, I don't care. Well, well, I, I don't co-sign that message. Um, have fun staying poor. <laughs> I co-sign that message. No, like I, I, I completely respect your right to build over there. If you want to build over there, just don't sell it on false promises. Be honest about the trade-offs and just know that you will end up losing money rather than if you just stack sats instead. Like, I, I mean... Maybe I'm overzealous. Maybe I'm too a little bit. Maybe I'm too invested because of the threat I have. But like, I become more confident by the day that it's never going to happen. It's complete bullshit, dude. Like the the transition of ETH 2.0 to proof of stake. I think it probably happens eventually. It's just going to be a piece of shit. I don't think it's ever going to happen, dude. Ever. Like you can't even coordinate getting enough ETH to be staked for the launch of the Beacon Chain. They'll just have Lubin will put some in and Vitalik will put some in and they'll just make it happen. Then boom, ETH 2.0. Centralized from the start. You have two people (laughs) staking the whole goddamn network. Look, that's not, I've been, I'm not saying that's not going to be the case. I just think it's got to happen eventually. I don't think so. And the, the quicker we, we end. I'd prefer if it happened, to be honest. Like, would it be, would you be more, I'd be more furious if they pivoted and they were like, ASICs are the way we need to have an easy ASICable, you know, and they just like survived because of it. They just like lasted longer. 
like it's maybe it's the accelerationist in me that's just like let's have ETH two come along so people like see like proof of stake for what it is. I mean, you can already see proof of stake for what it is with other networks. But still, to this day, I think that we see a fork where the ETH miners, because there's there's got to be ETH ASICs where the ETH ETH miners continue. But I don't know. I don't know enough there. Kind of just. But that invalidates their whole premise from the beginning. Their whole premise was. Proof of work is bad for the environment. We need to go proof of stake. That's what I'm saying. Wouldn't you be infuriated if they did like a double speak, like rewrote history and (laughs) pretended that? Because they can't rewrite history. Like the history has already been written. Uh, People rewrite history all the time. I mean, not while I'm alive. They will not be rewriting history. Marty won't let. Marty won't let them. They're gonna fucking off me to get that (laughs) that narrative through. Don't do it, guys. Uh is there going to be an auger assassination market on my life now? If anyone used auger, maybe. <laughs> uh, I mean, like, this was the election, right? Like, the elections are the time for these things to shine. Like, if they don't get enough volume during these times, like, are they ever going to? Dude, atomic like, I would say too. To, like, I would say to every single prediction market team working out there, like, you need to be ready for the next major world election, whatever election that be. Like, look up the election schedule and position yourself heavily on that next election. That's that's the bread and butter of the prediction market space. And it just wasn't there this time. And 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 I fucking loved the FTX one, but we need ones that aren't easily controlled by a centralized third party like that cuz Yeah, and a centralized third uh, party that's a, donating a significant amount of money to one uh one one uh presidential candidate in that market. Yeah, because of super PACs, which we shouldn't have. I agree with that. Um, which, you know, I, I, I think neither party wants to fix the system. They just benefit from it. A bunch of career politicians. Bitcoin fixes this. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, the, watching the, like, it was, it was kind of beautiful. Like, I didn't have to watch any kind of corporate media whatsoever, any kind of media about the election. I just could look at what the FTX token was. Like, that's what I, I want. It was so volatile, world, too. I want the whole world prediction marketed. I would have loved, you know, like... I would have loved a VIX index on the prediction market for the presidential election this year. I would have just bought bought that volatility. They turned the. I would still buy that volatility today, actually, just to let you know. Like, I would buy a vol index on. FTX successfully turned the U.S. election into a shitcoin. So, thanks for that. (laughs) Uh, There was even like a scam wick in there. There was. We got we got a block clock update in the background. We are at block six hundred fifty six thousand. I can't read the last three. No, that's not the block number. That's the price. Oh, what is it? Sixteen thousand one hundred eighteen. I have it switched now. Whenever a block comes in, so a block just came in. Okay. All right. Fuck, man, we're almost two hours in. I'm sorry. I went yeah, on. This is great. I went on a lot of rants today. I'm sorry. I'm all animated been raining where I am the last few days. I've been a little cooped up. I don't know, man. Yeah, but see, in the future, if we go on rants, you can just cut off our sat spigot like halfway through the episode and just walk away and we'll like learn our lesson. This is true. If the Schwing app will have you. <laughs> Every time you say it. Um, join it. We got our tribe, Tales from the Crypt. It's small now. It will grow to be larger. We're going to be interacting with you freaks there. 
There's no way for them to join it right now. No, there's no way. But. Oh, that's what I have. Breaking news. So while we were in dun, dun, podcast, dun, 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 dun. I texted Keto because he needs to create my new Sphinx account because my old one got borked. And he said that he's going to walk me through setting it up on my own node. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. That's dope. Like, so maybe the freaks are able to like skip the waiting list if, if we just onboard them through their own node. And specifically, I mean, he's, I mean, he's biased, but he's going to set me up on the noddle. All right, let's make this happen. Once you know, I'm excited what that setup process is like, uh, if you can leak to the freaks how to do it, let's do it. I'm yeah, very, next week. I'm not, I'm not bullshitting your freaks either. I'm very bullish on, on this application, the value to value model, the community, like we've been, t- Matt and I behind the scenes have been talking about creating like a telegram group or something for the freaks uh this discord a discord whatever a mumble but this sphinx setup in the podcasting 2.0 this tribe it seems like the right way to do it we're economically incentivized not that i would need an economic incentive to do it but well i like the open standard yeah it's my favorite part open standard but like again it's value for value you guys are giving value i want to give value back in this chat like i once. I want to build in a closed ecosystem. Right? Right. Like, we can... There's going to be some interesting... I think it's going to change the dyna- the dynamics of this show a little bit, too, which I'm interested to see. One thing I want to be clear on here is I strongly disagree with the terminology of Li-Fi, and I do not approve of it. Why is that? I do not want... I will not let it happen. I will just be an angry boomer about it. I thought it was Levi. Well, exactly. Fuck you. I don't want it to be either. I don't like it. I don't like it either. I, th- I don't know. It's just like DeFi was shitty, a shitty meme. I just don't want Li-Fi, I, Li-Fi, whatever the fuck it is. I'm not cool with it. If you're alluding I will to, not support that messaging at all. If you're alluding to my tweet, I was being facetious. Is this? Uh, yeah, I was like, I almost retweeted it. I was like, I can't, I can't support. <laughs> I was a little bit drunk. I was like, I was like, I can't support, I can't support Li-Fi. Just can't do it. All right. I'll, I'll never utter it again. It was a joke. It's just li- I, a lot of people are trying to make it, make it a thing. Trying to make fetch real. Stop it. Stop it. Don't make fetch real. You can't do it. It's <laughs> gonna be natural. God damn it. Freaks. We love you. Excited to continue this relationship. If you guys are liking what we're putting down, if we are ripping into a bull market, we want to make sure other freaks, potential freaks, pre-freaks are getting the best information possible. So please, if you are so willing, give us a rating and a review on your local podcasting app. Tell your friends about us. Share the podcast. Uh, Tell us what we're doing wrong. Tell us what we're doing right. Join the Sphinx Tribe. Buy a shout out. We got a we got a long ways to go, and uh, happy to be on this journey with you, freaks. Be good to one another. Um, I re- recently released a new guide for my favorite setup. Usecoldcard.com is my vanity domain for that. So it's important to get that chill out there. Uh, no ref links. That's not a sponsored content or anything. It's just my favorite setup. Share it with your friends and family. Uh, stay humble, stack sets. Peace and love, freaks.